where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I never remember which way I say is the future in the past, so I just do this. We're going into the future. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I've got such an incredibly hot topic for you today. I only need three guests because they are such experts and so passionate about this topic. It may be foreign to all of you listening, or it may be something you've heard a little tiny bit about. We're going to explain it and talk about the future. I'm talking about NFT. First panel, wave hello to everybody on LinkedIn and Facebook and a verbal hello to Voice America Business Channel. So let me do my intro here. It's a little long and then we'll get to our panelists. NFT is a cryptocurrency chit, C-H-I-T, or non-fungible token. That's probably what you've all heard. That proves a buyer owns an intangible marker connected to a unique piece of digital art, music, or another item. Does that sum it up, Guess you, You all comfortable with that one? Much like René Magritte, I'm getting into French art here, painting of a pipe that says, this is not a pipe. An NFT is not the thing it represents. Tweets, videos of baseball dunks, and even the source code to the World Wide Web have been sold as NFTs. From June to September 2021, they generated, everybody sit down now, $11 billion in sales. That's $11 billion. B, the billion, an eightfold increase on the previous four months, according to DAP. Radar, it's a market tracker. What is an NFT? Why are people spending millions, tens of millions? This is from an article at TheEconomist.com. Now, I have another quote from The Economist. NFTs have been around since 2014. Now, we're in mid-late 2022, so that's about eight years. Popularity took off and soared in March of 2021 when British Auction House, and Charles, one of my panelists, knows this, Christie sold an NFT of every day's the first 5,000 days, a piece of art by Mike Winkleman, for $69 million. Charles, I'm an artist and I wish that mine would sell for $69 or 69 cents. I'd be thrilled. On oh. October 25th, The Economist, the venerable economist, auctioned off their September 18th cover. It was called Down the Rabbit Hole. It shows Alice in Wonderland embarking into the world of decentralized finance called DEFI, DeFi, where NFTs are part of the foundation of the digital economy. That's from The Economist. Two more quick quotes. The music industry has embraced NFTs. In March 2021, Kings of Leon's When You See Yourself was the first album as an NFT. People who bought this, what we call a digital widget, guess what? They got old-fashioned MP3s and vinyl records. James, do you even are you old enough to remember vinyl records? I've got a whole bunch of them. You are okay. I wasn't sure. Uh, Please. I'm sorry. And and Snoop Dogg, we all know Snoop Dogg, announced his newly acquired record label, Death Row Records. I have trouble saying that. Would become the first NFT label. What's going to happen to music? Well, it's going to be just like uploading songs to Spotify and selling a record on Bandcamp. NFTs will become normalized. And one more thing here. Sotheby's offers a curated array of NFTs from digital art, luxury, collectible sports, and pop culture with a range of technical possibilities, auctions, buy it now, generative drops, I don't know what that means, and sales of additions attracting buyers and sellers all over the world. Listen up. The Bored Ape Yacht Club, art, 
sold in October 2021 for $3.4 million. Not, not exactly as much as Winkleman's 69, but it's still good. That broke a record. And the second most expensive crypto punk ever sold achieved $11.7 million. This is from Sotheby's. So within the next couple of years, you may see NFTs offered by your favorite establishments, community groups. Why? To interact with us better and take our culture to a very, very digital meta level. I've got three experts on this topic. They're raring to go. Connor Borrego, wave hello. There's Connor. We've got James Shannon. Hello, James. Those of you who are not watching us on LinkedIn or Facebook, James has a, I think it's My Little Pony back. Is that what it is, James? It's actually called a zone, but we'll go with we'll go with the My Little Pony route. It's pink. I'm dating myself and it's moving and it's gorgeous. And we have Charles Brakefield. Charles, Charles, wave hello. There's Charles. Very nice headset there. And we're talking about the future of, I, I didn't know what to name this, our digital breadcrumbs, the future of our world. I'm going to call it the future of our digital culture because I still consider art and music. James likes that one. All about the NFTs. Bonnie D in the house, thrilled to be here. So happy. Let's go around the table and meet my three wonderful guests. So, Connor Borrego, you started all this. You sent a, your, your agency you work with, PR, sent me a quote from you about NFTs. And I said, that's a hot topic. We're going to do it. So you were the first one on the guest list. Connor, I'm going to attempt, despite freezes, to put you on speaker view. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us why you're here? Connor, welcome. Hey, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me today. Excited to be here. Um, so my name is Connor Borrego. I'm the founder and chief product officer of UniPro. It's a software as a service that's hoping to help musicians basically grow their audience and own their first party data online. The real reason that I'm super interested in the NFTs is because of that whole digital breadcrumb trail concept that you're talking about. For the past 10 years, I've been working in the digital marketing space, which is incredibly dependent upon the data economy. Um, and NFTs are a tool for software developers to manage data, and it's the future of the internet. So I kind of dove headfirst into that around 2017, uh, <clears throat> just sort of part-time, kind of just getting my feet wet with the space while I was still working at Google. Um, at Google, I was a digital growth marketing strategist to startups that have raised anywhere between five and $50 million dollars. And my goal was to help them develop a data-driven strategy to deploy their advertising dollars to grow their company by 10x. Um, so I did that for about two years before leaving to start my own advertising and web development agency. Um, and so I've been doing that for the, for the past two years, whereas the software product has kind of been the evolution of a bunch of different experiments I've been doing over the last few years. But right now I'm focused, like I said, on helping musicians to grow their audience, own their first party data, and mint music to the blockchain. Connor, I'm impressed. You dropped so many nuggets of, I was going to say, really, really savvy brilliance on, on this whole topic. I'm impressed, and I'm very, very glad that you're here. And um, yeah, we will talk about the breadcrumbs as well. Impressive background and working at Google, doing what you did for those startups, very important. And the idea of working with musicians is just what is music to us it's still something that's culturally it's a foundation right for how far back people were playing music they were singing they were dancing there was a tune somewhere it still moves us it breaks our heart it makes us smile so it's time to bring it into the world thank you so into the next part of the world james shannon happy to have you here can't wait to meet you so go ahead and introduce yourself please Thank you so much, Bonnie, and it's lovely to be here. Uh, my name is James Shannon. I'm from Montreal, Canada, 
My professional background is in product, music, and technology. I was working in Toronto, Canada uh, for a software technology company. And at the same time, I was actually a lead singer of a very unsuccessful rock band in Canada. And I decided that I was doing both of those things at 50% capacity and wanted to invest fully in one of those ventures. So as opposed to being behind the mic, I decided to be behind the business side of music. So I invested in a music business master's at Berkeley uh, College of Music. And through that program, I was actually able to enter the music industry as an entrepreneur, first as uh, the leader of a creative service agency called Aura Studios. And our mission was to build augmented reality experiences for the music industry. We were fortunate in the sense that we started working at the height of the pandemic as uh, investment shifted from the live sector into the immersive sector. We got firsthand experience building uh, augmented reality for record labels like Universal, Sony, Warner, and a host of uh, artists that I've always loved as a kid. So that was a really special moment of life. Through that experience, I learned about some of the difficulties of building immersive environments and virtual worlds, and also the difficulties for artists to generate revenue in a digital space. That led us to our second venture, which is where I am now, and that's called Zone. Zone combines familiar social media style interfaces on a mobile app with immersive and blockchain features. And our goal is to help musicians and creators easily build virtual worlds and mint them to the blockchain. We've had some success ourselves minting uh, NFTs and I'm happy to go into that in some detail, but um, the future for us will be at the intersection of mixed reality, NFTs and music. Thank you. Also very impressive. I have a Quest 2 headset. I haven't used it in a couple of weeks, but I, I uh, started in the metaverse, in the immersive technologies a little while, a couple of months ago, James, and I realized that I have my, my physical limits of, of how much immersive I can do. I don't want to be in that spaceship going up. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with a hot air balloon over the lakes of Lausanne, Switzerland. I can do that. And I can do the double-decker bus tour, and I can go through all kinds of markets in China, and I can go through the, the elands and the animals on the plains of Africa. But there are certain things I still, you know, you have to know what your tolerance is. But I will tell you that. There's a very interesting app you may not all be aware of called, and I will think of it in a couple of minutes. Um, I will I will get the name. It's presented by the AARP of all places, and they have the most wonderful immersive videos. And I have, Charles, you get a kick out of this. I have gone underseas and watched turtles of all sizes and shapes among the coral with some very quiet music in the background and talk about relaxing. It's just absolutely wonderful. I'll get the name of the app for you. So thank you very much. Very excited. We can talk about immersive today as part of the, the NFT story. So thank you so much, James. Delighted to have you here, Charles. I have to give a disclaimer here. Charles answered the call through a wonderful PR company called Mickey Mickelson Creative. And uh, Mickey put out the call about an hour ago that I needed a, another panelist and Charles just, I hope you jumped at the chance and didn't hurt yourself, Charles. I appreciate you joining us on about an hour's <laughs> notice. Uh, very, very brave of you. And Charles is going to be on next week's show talking about the future of creativity. So I get to meet you a week in advance. Charles, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you kindly introduce yourself? Go ahead. Bonnie, thank you for the invitation and um, uh, happy to be here. And um, I was um, I'm pleasantly surprised to have two such uh, esteemed colleagues hanging out and talking about uh, some of the favorite stuff that I like to uh, uh, study. Um, 
Again, my name is Charles Brakefield. I'm a um, solution architect, still working in the high-tech world. I do voice data network engineering for Fortune 500 companies around the planet. Um, um, I've been at this uh, since the first part of the century. So um, some uh, very interesting experience. What I get to see is the, the stuff that's broken stuff that's uh is uh here this is what uh here's what the attack vector is coming into this is some of the stuff that uh you know ruins people's lives and so the technology world and from from our point of view technology is the weapon of choice so we try to uh, stay ahead of it we try to study it make sure that uh, it's baked into the solutions that i deliver to customers and it gives me a great opportunity to be able to find neat stuff that's uh, that's circulating around and turn it into stories. So I'm a storyteller. That's what uh, that's what we've uh, uh, exported into uh, our techno thriller books and um, the cryptocurrencies and the fungible tokens. Those are uh, interesting areas for us because they have um, some very very futuristic uh, approach to how to be able to do storytelling. We see the collision between um, um, gaming and um, uh, storytelling in a in a way that uh, you know, brings the uh, uh, um, I think the, uh, the the term is the uh, the, the visuals the uh, augmented reality into and make it a, an immersive storyline and so the technology that uh, we're talking about tonight um, would be leveraged in that uh, that new on-ramp um, discussion for getting people into a story rather than just reading it, enjoying it from an immersive standpoint. That's where we see the uh, the role for, for crypt cryptocurrencies, uh, NFTs, uh, mixers. Um, yeah, that's a that's not another necessary evil that uh, goes along with the uh, with, with the, the technology that we're talking about. So uh, I'm fascinated with the uh, the stuff, and there's a lot of uh, material out there. Thank you very much. Storytelling in the metaverse. Very interesting. Thank you, Charles. Happy to have you here. Interesting, different different point of view, but we're going to get into some of the immersive and we're going to keep this on the positive side of what NFTs are going to do for, I'm using the big broad word culture. So storytelling is part of that, Charles. Obviously, storytelling probably preceded songs because what is a song? is telling a story to some kind of a tune, right? Some kind of a music. So I think we're, we're layering some, uh, some historical evolution here. I will all tell all of you, Alcove is the app on the metaverse that I use, A-L-C-O-V-E. And it is so rich and so well done. And I play virtual checkers with a friend on a gaming table in Alcove. It, they allow just a two-person game and it's just delightful. You can watch movies, go travel with the turtles, take tours all over the world. So Alcove is, is my app of choice on the quest. I'm not a gamer, but that may be happening at some point in time. Who's going to teach me how to do game? Well, well, another show. Okay, so let's move on. Thank you all for your introductions. Appreciate that. Connor Borrego, let's go to the opening quotes. I've asked each of you to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV show or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And I don't know too many songs or movies that are about NFTs and crypto yet, but they're probably coming. So let's see how clever and creative you are in linking the quote to the topic. Connor sent me a quote from... D.A. Harvey Dent, played by Aaron Eckhart, the movie The Dark Knight, 2008 superhero film. Harvey Dent, 
Two-Face is Gotham's noble district attorney turned violent vigilante. I won't go into all of this, but based on the DC comic superhero Batman, this is the sequel to Batman Begins and the second installment in the Dark Knight trilogy. Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, the late Gary Oldman, Aaron Eckert, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Morgan Freeman. What a cast. And here's the quote Connor has selected. Let's, let's see where you go with this one, Connor. The night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you, the dawn is coming. That could have been Charles's quote. Okay, go, Connor, go, go ahead. Tell us what this has to do with our topic, please. So there's there's two different like lines of reasoning why I chose that quote. I don't love that it comes from Harvey Dent just because he is sort of like the bad guy character in this situation. That wasn't really the intent. Uh, the quote itself, though, like sort of encapsulates, I would say, like crypto winter. And I think there's a lot of FUD or fear and doubt out there about the you know viability of crypto and blockchain long term. And there's a lot of people who are sort of like, yeah, this is a Ponzi scheme. There's not ever going to go anywhere. It's been around for 10 years. What, what's next? Like we've seen this rise and fall multiple times now. Um, but, you know, we're kind of like that one breakthrough product that hits a consumer adoption scale that actually showcases that that blockchain really is a technology for, for all people to leverage. And so that quote to me is looking forward and saying it's coming, whether you like it or not, really. Um, and sort of on the other side of it is, uh, you know, the whole decentralized finance movement is sort of almost a vigilante approach to uh, reshaping our financial industry and the access to financial technologies and resources that help, you know, small businesses and entrepreneurs to get their start or even just everyday people who are struggling to make ends meet in their lives. So, um, you know, kind of from that approach, it almost like also fits to uh, from that whole this is like a grassroots movement type of technology that's kind of being distributed and out, you know, kind of created by the community from the ground up. And I think that that's sort of a, a contrast to the traditional finance technology industry, which is this, you know, uh, bureaucratic behemoth uh, that it's kind of being contrasted against. So that's why I chose the quote. I thought it fit well, but, you know, that's just me rambling. So. No, it's not you rambling. It's you being very interesting. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, I know most people don't ask you for movie quotes for a TV or for a radio show and a, uh, on something like this. It's a serious topic, but I find that's a way for to keep my guests engaged as well as keep the audience engaged because they don't expect it. They don't see it coming. And that's a hallmark of my show. So thank you very much. Let's go to the quote from James Shannon. This is a quote from Touch the Sky, song by hip hop artist. Kanye West for his second studio album called Late Registration in 2005. It included a slow sample, slowed sample from Curtis Mayfield's Move On Up 1971. It peaked at number 42 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in 2006 in the top 10 in Australia, Scotland, the U.K., blah, blah, blah. And what's interesting is the Milwaukee Brewers use this song for their home runs, which James probably knows. Here is the stanza from the song James has selected. Now let's go. Take them back to the plan. Me and my mama hopped in that U-Haul van. Any pessimists, I ain't talking to them. Plus, I ain't have no phone to in my apartment. How did I do, James? You're you're up. He's gonna he's gonna ask you for a feature. I have no doubt. <laughs> that was a cold no read, doubt, by the Marty. way. That was a cold. That read. was a cold read. I could tell. I could tell. But the inflection points were just right. Thank you. You're so kind. Okay, James, what does this have to do with our topic? And regale me. Go ahead. 
Well, Bonnie, it actually has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, but I am going to make it have something to do with the topic. <laughs> so, um, so I think there's elements here that actually play on what Connor was talking about too, specifically the line about pessimists. Uh, I, I chose this one because we are in a time right now when there are many pessimists, many, many people who don't believe in this type of technology and equate it, as you said, Connor, to the more shady elements of our online community, those who would prefer to steal and, and do things that we wouldn't approve of. So um, for the one part, I chose it because it it shows us that Kanye in this song is saying, I'm not going to listen to these pessimists. I'm not going to uh, listen to the naysayers. I'm going to believe in the technology. And in this case, his art that brought him to Los Angeles and brought him into fame. So for a lot of us that are in this space, and for those of you who are listening, we are still very early into this technology. And it's really, really difficult to use right now. And it's, it's really easy to say that everything is not going well because there are a lot of things that aren't going well, but just as the internet back in the nineties, when I was still a young wee lad, um, there are many, many places of opportunity for us to capitalize on. And it's just a matter of time before, as you said, one or two use cases blow this thing out of the water and we see mass adoption. I have some thoughts on that as well, but to go back to some of the other lines, um, I also think that it's it shows how there are both um, there are both ways to have a plan when it comes to NFTs and crypto. And there are also, you also have to be mindful of the fact that this technology is changing so quickly that you almost can't have a plan. And that in and of itself is a way forward. So you shouldn't have a plan. Um, you need to be mindful of the pessimism, but not listen to it. And then the last line I actually thought was kind of full cool because you've got no phone in your apartment. And in a lot of cases, the people that enter this space have absolutely no idea what an NFT is before they enter anyway. So you can, there is opportunity there. Thank you. It sounds like you need to be proactive, but also reactive a little bit, right, James? You need to be, it's, you want, you want to be on the leading yeah. edge, but you have to see when you need to be flexible. Agile? It's been one of the, one of the biggest learning experiences for me is that in every business venture that I've been a part of leading up until this one that I'm currently doing, it actually pays to have a six month plan. It actually pays to be prepared and to stand by and say, this is what we're going to do. This is our four or five year roadmap. This technology is changing so quickly that in a month, two months, the marketing efforts that you employ, the types of people that are on your team, the types of um, the types of activities that you carry out within a community all change at the blink of an eye. And so you have to be ready to do that. Thank you. Agility, agility, agility. We froze there for a second, but we're back. I've got my look at print using an old fashioned printer to print out my notes. I haven't had to do this in 10 years before radio show. Here I am. Luckily, I pay a monthly fee to keep the ink subscription going. There we go. Charles Brakefield, I'm frozen here on my app, on my uh, document, but I have your quote center and stage here. And there we go. Froze again. Charles, I'm just going to read it and you're going to respond. Charles picked a quote from Lieutenant Colonel Kilgore, played by the one and only Robert Duvall. The movie is Apocalypse Now, 1979. Epic psychological war film directed and produced by the one and only Francis Ford Coppola, starring, wow, what a cast, Marlon Brando. Anybody here remember him? Charles does. Robert Duvall, Martin Sheen, Frederick Forrest, Albert Hall, Sam Bottoms, Lawrence Fishburne, and Dennis Hopper. I know of most of those names. It follows a river journey from South Vietnam into Cambodia by Captain 
Benjamin L. Willard, played by Martin Sheen, on a secret mission to assassinate Marlon Brando's character, Colonel Kurtz, a renegade Army Special Forces officer accused of murder who is presumed insane. Here's the quote. I like this, Charles. If I say it's safe to surf this beach, Captain, it's safe to surf this beach. Charles, go ahead. So uh, that when you asked for that quote, I, I, it immediately popped to mind because that's I thought, a lot of what I see in the cryptocurrency market. Uh, very bold statements, um, convincing arguments uh, from people that uh, um, they're selling really hard the, the concept and the technologies there. Um, I, I can believe the, you know, the, some of the, uh, of the use cases, uh, but a lot of times it's just uh, to use uh, Connor's uh, term of renegade uh, vigilantes. Um, I, I love that term. Can I use that? Is that okay, uh, Connor? I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, yes, all right. Yes. <laughs> but uh, there's no way to be able to uh, uh, accept uh, just a dictatorial uh, statement like that just because uh, you know i i know this uh, this blockchain and uh, you need to accept it you know, to uh, to james's point it's like um i need i need some positive guardrails i need something other than you say it's okay um, um they're still tracking about four or five renegade intellectuals that uh, have uh, um, put forward their uh, uh cryptocurrency their net fungible tokens and then vanished with the money and those are those are the kind of people that taint the the work that uh, that James and Connor and myself, uh, and so they're 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 hard to ignore. And so, um, in, in our in my world, um, we don't trust anything because if I trust it, um, it's inside. It's ruining the inside of the other network. It's de destroyed the, uh, uh, the the voice. It steals the uh, um, the intellectual property, and that's uh, that's a lot of what uh, our the three of us are here for is to make sure that there's a new technology in the digital age that can be leveraged properly responsibly to be able to push the uh, uh the the envelope for creativity which is the topic we're going to cover next week uh with you bonnie but it's uh um, um I'm, I'm cautious uh, i'm going to uh, preach caution and uh and just because somebody says it's safe to surf this beach doesn't mean i'm going to go surf that beach <laughs> okay, point well taken. Yes, there there is danger lurking in them in our woods, and we do hear. And and James, I think you address this also as well as Charles. We we read in the news. You said don't believe everything you hear. Well, it is new, right? Since 2014, that's eight years. What does that mean in terms of digital technology? That's like it was just born 10 minutes ago in the world. So we, we see it takes a long time for things to get a grasp, but there are good actors and bad actors. There are people with hopes and dreams, and there are people who want to say, I see an opportunity to steal something from somebody or to make somebody's life miserable. So, Charles, I don't want to skew on the negative side, but I appreciate your point of view in terms of there is a watch and be careful the beach may not be safe okay so so we're going right. to cover all of it but i want to stay on the on the positive side on the exciting side and nfts uh, let me just go around the table before i've, I've got an, a prediction from each of you in the chat privately to each of you that we'll cover in a minute we'll start with connor and and the deal is connor you'll unpack it for about three minutes and then i will give james and charles a chance to gentlemen raise one of the nice fingers on your screen if you want to comment on it to me and I will see you wiggle your nice finger and I will call on you. Otherwise, I'll move on to a prediction from James and then one from Charles. So we will be open to comments. But what I wanted to say was, um, it's just very interesting that this is so new that 
it's an, it's an enigma to a lot of people. And how many people do you meet, Connor? This is the question around the table briefly, just a couple of sentences. Connor, how many people do you meet who are not working with you in your company? You come across on social media, anywhere you, you, anywhere you play, I'll say that, who even have a clue what an NFT is and or if they do, do they think it's a good thing? Let's just do a quick poll based on what Charles has said. Connor, what do you think? If I were to put my finger in the wind, I'd say that, you know, 30, 40% of the people that I encounter have heard of NFTs. Uh, it's probably higher when I'm like with some of my like core friend groups versus just like other strangers, just because I run in a lot of tech circle type situations. But I would say that even amongst some of my tech friends, at least 20% of them are, are, are pretty kind of like against NFTs. They think it introduces a lot more complication to the database management side of things and they don't necessarily see the benefit but i'll save that because i think that gets into my prediction a little bit but I, I i'd say that you know the people that are familiar with it have some reservations i think a lot of other people see a lot of money to be made in there and that's certainly still the truth and you know but getting back to charles charles's point there's a lot of bad actors in the space so it you know it's it, it, there's a reason why it earns the negative reputation with the people that it does. But I do think that people don't necessarily understand the merits of the technology. And that's one of the things that makes sort of the bad actors seem that much more scary is because they don't understand why it's a good, useful technology at this point. So. Interesting. James, weigh in on this. People you know, do they understand it? And do they think it's a good, bad or ugly? Or don't know? I would say predominantly, like outside of my work circle, I would say predominantly bad. And for many of the same reasons that Connor has brought up, because the headline of this scam happened is a lot sexier than the headline of this NFT technology can help this independent creator make some money. I mean, that's just the way it is. Like bad news travels a lot faster than good news. Um, what I will say is I find myself having to kind of play both sides when I talk to people. I kind of have to defend it because... I feel like I must because I'm working somewhat inside of it. But then I feel like I also have to recognize, recognize what's happening in reality. You know, so I have to say, yes, this is true. But for those same reasons that people are able to, um, to exploit it, for those same reasons, it is also benefiting the independent creator. And, you know, some people will recognize that and some people will understand that, this is new. This is um, this is entering the space, and we have some things to work through. And others will simply shoot me away like a fly. Thank you. See, Charles, where you started a whole reality check on the topic. I was going to do, wow, wonderful. Look at all the money, and now we're covering, but and we needed to. So, Charles, thank you yeah, for yeah. thank you for pushing me in that direction. Charles, your thoughts. People, you know, do they say NFTs? What? Oh, crypto. Oh, that's bad. Oh, everybody losing money. What do they say? Well, uh, uh, I. Frankly, I've been uh, taking the same kind of tack that uh, James has been doing and, and, and Connor, which is um, an education. You know, what is it? Here's how it works. Here's how it can benefit. Here's the uh, the proof points for usefulness in a, uh, uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, uh, we we try to uh, uh, to see what, uh, where that technology will plug in, um, so, you know, writing books and trying to be a, 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 a full-time author or a piece of music or, you know, a piece of artwork. This is where some new techniques could be introduced to be able mm -hmm. to help facilitate and um, not just, you know, the... Uh, you hear all these stories about, well, I, you know, this this artist or this author or you know this piece of uh, of creativity was uh, was pirated, resold, 
and there's no way to be able to intercept it. Um, and so um, I see a, a great positive um, impact using uh, cryptocurrency, the blockchain technologies, the uh, NFTs, um, rather than just, you know, trinkets and toys and some place to be able to uh, to go to. And by the way, yeah, I, I, I did like that, uh, that story about the, uh, the Bordy Yop Club. Uh, that just cracked me up. Um, uh, but I've taught this uh, this course uh, to other, others, uh, other authors, trying to educate them on mm -hmm. here's where this will plug in. At some point, you will see um, augmented reality uh, as part of uh, your, uh, your your shop. You'll be able to take and uh, um, build an on-ramp on the internet and the monet monetization that you would need for that, that's where the, the, the NFTs and the, uh, uh, the mm -hmm. cryptocurrency would come into place or buying avatars, or I want to, I want to, mm -hmm. you know, I want to go into Anne McCafferty's story and be one of the dragon writers of Pern. Uh, those are the kind of things that uh, you, it would change the, uh, you know, the reading, um, just simply reading, or, I mean, mm -hmm. if you, you know, aud audibles to go along with it, but, you know, now a more immersive um, approach to, uh, you know, not just the music, but the, uh, um, the storyline, the uh, maybe you know, say for it, additional dollars, you could uh, have um, uh, a different ending for the story. Yep, yep, that, um, that's happening, and it's very competitive yeah. in the book field. You brought up something, either you or James Charles. I just want to interject this before I forget. I do a lot of shows during the year with authors, novelists, uh, mm -hmm. talking about the future of self-publishing, talking about the future of character naming, fun things like that. And I had a woman who was a publisher as well as a multiple-time author, okay? And what's interesting is she told me, and I, I think you're all going to be maybe not, Charles might not be shocked. I was. James and Connor might join me in being shocked. She wrote several books a few years ago, and she now finds her books have been hijacked by other people. And the, I know they've been appearing on the web online under another author's name, and they are her books. Now, this is not anything involved in blockchain, right? If we had that immutable source, one source of truth, decentralized, where it goes along is this is a book by, her name is Patricia Wooster. And if it was there, it wouldn't happen or somebody would have to go to greater lengths to steal her work, right? Connor, do you have anything to say about that? Or I, I don't want to, I want to get into the predictions, but anybody, are you shocked, Connor? I I guess I'm not shocked. Like I am shocked, of course, to hear that because like, you know, you don't think that people are actively doing these things, but then you look back and think about the other ways in which people have done this over the years. Like I know so many like graphic designers often have their, their posts stolen from Instagram and then see them on Etsy copied over and over and over again by a bunch of different sellers. And so it's the same problem as the bookseller problem. Um, I think the one thing that always trips me up with blockchain, right, is that it is a shared public ledger. So we can all verify that she was the first publisher of it. Yes. Um, but in some ways, like we have the timestamps from her original publishing of the book and this, you know, later publishing of the the other author copying her book. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, you still have to go through the courts and the legal system to settle that dispute. Um, and so the blockchain definitely is going to bring a lot more credibility to the author's, you know, defense. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there's still these human intermediaries that we have to go through that are going to make the process kind of similar to where we're at today. 
Thank you very much. Anybody else have a quick comment? I want to get to predictions. Charles, anything on the book? And by the way, multiple people stole her book. Multiple names popped up. It must be a very good book. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's uh, that, that. That's always the uh, the problem. And I see a lot of uh, value in having the uh, the blockchain architecture for not just for this, but for uh, sourcing parts, food. Um, you know, there's the contracts. I mean, there's the, there's a dozen things that you can use that with. And to Connor's point, no, it won't keep you out of trouble. It, uh, but uh, when you go in front of the, the, the judge, it says, see what they stole from me? This is when I did it. Um, yes. And now it's much more a hard, okay, you know, get the slime ball out of here and uh, you know, here's what you owe. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to move to predictions now. Prediction number one from Connor. NFTs will be used by every industry by the year 2035. I need you to unpack that. Uh, take about two, two, three minutes, Connor. And how? How? That's what I want to know. Go ahead. So the date, the date is probably a little bit bold, but I just wanted to be bold with my prediction, to be honest. So I'm just going to put that out there. The reason that I believe that every industry will be using NFTs by 2035 is because every industry today is already transitioning into big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence. The data economy is a $2 trillion a year economy, and the NFTs are an innovative technology that disrupts that industry. And what I mean by that is, uh, that there are a lot of software companies out there today that make their money by selling a package or service to small business owners. What they're doing beyond just you know, providing a software interface for many of those users is they're packaging and aggregating, or they're aggregating and packaging that data into unique insights and sets to resell to you know, sort of uh, hedge funds or data and marketing, digital analytics tooling. It really depends on where the data goes after you know, they've got it. But the point is what they're doing is they're pooling small businesses data together and reselling it, but they're not cutting the small businesses in on this. And this is why I think that at least to small and mid-sized businesses, NFTs are going to be an incredibly valuable resource for them to take their proprietary internal operations and systems data and license it to different business intelligence, uh, you know, essentially use cases and receive dividends and payments for the licensing of their, their operational data, which bold claim, but that, that's why I think every industry is moving to NFTs long-term is because they're not, they're, they're missing out on a revenue stream that their company could definitely earn significant value from uh, because the, the data economy is a $2 trillion a year economy. So, you know, you know, 20% of that's just related to their advertising information. Um, so it, it, it'd be really interesting to see that, you know, kind of come, I, I think it's a very valuable uh, value proposition for those small businesses and for individual consumers as well. Um, but that's why I believe every industry will, will have adopted this technology. I don't know about the large corporations, um, they're certainly going to be utilizing it in some capacity, but it is going to be most attractive to small and mid-sized businesses. Thank you. Very interesting. I'm thinking of NFTs as part of everyday parlance as, as cocktail talk, if people are still doing cocktail parties. And I'm thinking, uh, Connor, that about three years ago before COVID, who talked about supply chain other than people in an industry, right? Automotive manufacturing. Who? Who would say, oh, I couldn't get my screen door because there's supply chain issues. That was me two years ago. I couldn't get a new screen door because Lowe's said they didn't have it because of supply chain. The, the fountain with the lights on the pond where I live, it's been broken for four months. I said, why? 
can't we get another one? Why can't we get a cheaper one? Why can't we fix it? It's under warranty. The guy who owns this company can't get anybody. His supply chain is down. He can't get the parts. It's a simple 10 horsepower motor. He can't get it four months out. They're finally buying a new one. My point is supply chain, supply chain, but we weren't talking about that. I wouldn't have said, hello, Connor. I, I tried to get this and it was a supply chain issue, but now we all talk about it. NFTs, it sounds like if your prediction, bold as it is in just 13 years, 12 years, people will be talking about it all the time. Well, my business is, is doing NFTs and we're investing and we understand what the blockchain is. It will come and... I think uh, Charles mentioned education and James talked about it's it's new and it's coming. That's part of the process is who gets to use it, who benefits from it, and how do we accept it in our in our culture? And that's what we're talking about. James or Charles, any quick comments on what Connor said or can I move on? You both good? I'm good. I could do a, I could do a quick one, yeah, sure. um, but I can also expand on it in, in my piece too. But I think that this kind of balance between benefits accruing to the to the small people yeah. versus benefits accruing to the large people. And, and I say people because that applies to like businesses, creators, like anyone is fascinating to talk about because the value chain for each is very, very different when it comes to NFTs. On the one hand, for the large corporations or people, it's about efficiency and cost savings and how you can use the blockchain, let's say in our previous example, to eliminate the legal uh, costs mm -hmm. for proving who owns or who created something. Yeah. That's a use case. But at the same time, the benefit to the individual people, the creators is very much a loss for the larger corporations. And so balancing that and seeing how that's going to play out in the future is a place that really excites me. How it's going to play out in the future. And that's why we're here today. Let's go to your it's prediction. Now. It is now <laughs> the future technology revolution, the future of now. That's my show. That's why we do this. James, I'm going to your prediction number one. Just take about two minutes because you've been talking. And I, let's see if either of the other panelists wants to make a comment. You say the NFT crypto market will explode once the technology becomes as simple to use as Instagram or TikTok. Aha. Everybody can understand this one. James, expand, please. Unpack it. Uh, so web, web one, internet, email, web pages, when it first came out, nobody got it. Nobody understood what the hell it was. It was incredibly difficult to use. Nobody could make sense of it. And it was the same thing that we're doing now. It's everybody talking about how the internet is not going to be there. Banking is never going to change because people need a face-to-face -face person. 99% of all banking transactions happen on the internet. It just changed, right? But the reason that it changed and the reason that everybody adopted it was not because of Web 1, it was because of Web 2. Web 2 is the social web. Web 2 is social media. It's interactive web pages. It's giving Web 1 technology to the masses because it simplified it. It wasn't an upheaval on the back end of the internet. It was an upheaval on the front end of the internet. And it gave us everything that we know today. Web3 is very much like Web1. It's an upheaval of the back end. It's a shared database. It's a shared ledger. It's technology that doesn't look pretty, but in its, in its current state, it's revolutionary. So until we can make the same change to the front end of Web3 as Web2 did to the Web1, we won't see mass adoption. And when I mean that, I mean specifically, we have attention spans of goldfish, like goldfish. Squirrels. 10 seconds. Squirrels is eight, I think. Squirrels, like <laughs> 10 seconds, 15 seconds before we're pressing next, before we're going to the next show, before we're downloading the next app. We need to have a blockchain platform or an NFT platform that can be spun up in 10 seconds and it's simple to use or else no one's going to do it. 
And so that's why I compare it to TikTok and Instagram because those is those are the gold standard for efficiency and user experience today. I never thought I'd hear TikTok as the gold standard, but thank you very much. <laughs> I was yeah. consumed. I was on a TikTok binge about six months ago, and every day I would allow myself 20 minutes to go and watch a whole bunch of TikTok videos. And I, I changed my whole style of cooking, my whole style of eating based on what they were doing, and uh, it didn't work. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to get away from cheese with everything and everything air fried with cheese on top, on bottom, cheese waffles, cheese chaffles. So I, I, I just had to back away. I enjoy it on a lesser basis. Now, Charles, I'm going to go to your prediction number one, which is from tomorrow's show, but you're going to send me, I mean, next week's show, you're going to send me one or two additional predictions on, on creativity, if you don't mind, right. Charles. Charles says, I expect to see the emerging technology of metaverse colliding with online gaming companies to produce a whole new way of delivering more immersive stories to the general population. Uh, visitors to the virtual world use cryptocurrencies and NFT, allowing the author to monetize their, monetize their created worlds, ticket sales, souvenirs, avatars. The metaverse becomes an author's publishing platform. This technical innovation will open doors for fiction. James likes this. Uh, Connor is nodding. This uh, technical innovation would, will open doors for fiction and nonfiction writers to create an immersive experience. We've touched on immersive books a little bit, but talk to me about the gaming. I'm interested in gaming, meta, and NFTs. Charles? Well, so the augmented reality the uh, uh, and, of course, the, uh, the, the, the raw computing power that's now available in the graphics um, and the uh, the ability to uh, to use uh, uh, artificial intelligence to be able to help sculpt new uh, new ways to be able to tell the story. Um, imagine a uh, um, a story, uh, your favorite story, whether it's you know historical or if it's fictional, uh, you being able to go in and maybe alter the outcome of the uh, uh, of the events and you know just see what if you know. Um, the Germans uh, hadn't been stopped at Stalingrad. What if the, uh, you know, whatever scenario you want to pull up, you want to talk through the uh, the ability of uh, that, and then so you you take a story that's got a core foundation, and then you modify it using artificial intelligence, and having the uh, the ability to be able to have people put on um, augmented reality glasses, join from a, an on ramp through the internet for access and then actually have the, the ability to be able to um, handle and manage your avatar within the story. I could see that as being a, a very uh, very attractive um, possibility. And then the blockchain uh, as, uh, as the hardening um, legal uh, aspects of it. So it's not just, hey, let's go ahead and uh, pirate uh, you know, these folks uh, uh, their stories and uh, will repurpose it for us. No, you know, that there's got to be in our world, it's the, um, you know, the, the ability to be able to sell stuff and have it correctly identified as, you know, my property. So thank you. Thank you. Good. All good stuff. That was our first round, but we had a guest who was unable to join us due to a family emergency named Amita. Amina, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, James Tawadi. And she has sent us, she went ahead and did the prep for the show, and I appreciate that. Please send her my regards and best wishes. Uh, James is going to address her prediction number three, which is in a different area of culture than we've been talking about. She predicts fashion technology 
will become a lot more popular with token gated events. I have no idea what this means. James, you want to tackle this for about three minutes? Go ahead. It sounds exciting. Can I stop wearing black dresses on the radio? Go ahead. Well, I think what Amina was after here is talking about using NFTs to create fan clubs or events which feel more exclusive. So fashion technology um, or fashion as an industry in general is all about scarcity. It's all about creating items which can be priced at any value if they are more scarce. Take Gucci, take Burberry, take any fashion brand out there. What they have been doing for years is creating limited collections of goods, releasing them to market and restricting the supply in order to increase the cost of those items. They do so. They do so not only with the amounts that they create, but there have been famous examples of them actually destroying items so that they can not have them resold on secondary markets. I think fashion technology in the digital space is going to see the exact same thing, and they haven't been able to do that yet until NFT technology. So token-gated events, if we were to translate that into layman's terms, mm-hmm. would be any type of digital event experience, browser-based or app-based that only allows access for holders of a specific token. In this case, it would be a specific NFT, where I think we start to see a lot of um, a lot of opportunity happening is when those tokens can be used across a fashion brand or across different use cases related to a specific brand. So take Burberry, Burberry might actually have an activation inside of a metaverse platform. We'll definitely get to you, Connor. And then they might have an activation inside of a metaverse platform, which requires the Burberry NFT. They might also have a discount for a specific good or digital uh, piece of merch that can be given only to holders of that NFT. Connor, take it away, man. Connor. I, I didn't want to interject really. The one other thing that came to mind when you were talking about the fashion NFT technology. I've been talking to an entrepreneur who's pairing RFID and sewing that directly into the apparel for physical events too. So your NFT is being registered right there on your arm as they go into the event, which is just like mind blowing on some level. (laughs) And then at some point we'll all be, you know, we'll all be plugged into VR headsets being fed intravenously through tubes with oh, NFTs no, embedded no, in there. No tubes. No, tubes. no <laughs> I don't want any tubes. tubes. No, 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 no. We're not going to do tubes. Let's see. We have six minutes left. Let's see if we can sneak in two more really fast predictions. Sure. Just really quick. Connor, I'm going to your prediction number three. This is interesting. Everybody will understand this. Users will operate online primarily through a single sign-on account. Oh, dream on. As opposed to having multiple usernames and passwords by the year. Here we go again. 2035. Is there something special happening in your life in 12 years, Connor? You like that. <laughs> I, I'm unaware of it right now, but I just was like, it's far enough out there where I'm like, I can't be held, have my feet held to the fire too much, but it's also close enough where it might be enticing to people. I, uh, I'm sure it's actually going to come faster than 2035, but maybe I'm just hopeful like every other technologist. So um, the reason why I think that like the single sign-on technology is coming around has to do with digital identity which to me is kind of very much at the core of the whole NFT movement because it's about ownership of digital assets and your digital breadcrumb trail as you're browsing social media, as you're browsing Google, as you're wandering around the internet. Each one of those stops you make and everything you do on those sites are little fragments of data that could be tracked as NFTs 
that we already know are incredibly valuable to the marketing, advertising, technology industry, as well as the larger economic forecasting industry and other places as well. Um, and so this gets back to prediction number one, uh, where I was saying that, you know, small businesses and users would benefit from the ownership of their data. And that's why I think it'll be prevalent in every industry. Uh, once we have a breakthrough technology, right? What they're probably offering their community of users is a cryptograph, an encrypted browser. You could almost think of it like the existing Brave browser, but it's, it's providing you with a shield as you interact with the internet, making sure your data stays on the inside of the app and not the outside of it. Um, and then if you'd like to share your data with those other apps, uh, you can. And so because of that, it's, it's very likely that all your passwords and all your sign-ons would also be managed through the same process because it'd be very easy to implement if you're operating, if you're managing it through the browser itself. Um, and so that is why I believe that everyone will eventually have this crypto wallet as their single sign-on. Um, it might come from a bunch of different providers uh, but because the database structure underneath is similar, it doesn't matter who the provider is, um, you'll be able to choose who manages or who provides you with your crypto wallet identity management software, but you will use it to log in everywhere and you won't have to worry about anything but one password. So That would be so nice. Okay. <laughs> we have, Charles had to go and I didn't have a chance to say goodbye, but Charles Brakefield, thank you so much for joining us. I got a note that he could only stay till 50 after and he's gone. Charles, we appreciate you. Thanks for your contributions. Kept a very well-rounded conversation because of some of Charles' input. James, you're going to get the last prediction. I've got two and a half minutes before we start to close the show. So here we go. James says, I'm reading your amended one here. You say the music industry will need to adapt quickly to crypto technology as independent artists start to explore ways they can earn revenue from the sale of NFTs and build communities in Web 3.0. Two minutes and that's it. James, go. Right now, the music industry is run via record labels who offer two primary benefits to their artists. One is exposure and the second is funding for the production of a music piece or a record. Those are the two big pieces that we're seeing. The reason that I brought this up is that NFTs across all types of creators, but specifically musicians, have opened up an entirely new revenue stream through the sale of records, through the sale of goods, through the sale of virtual merchandise. And it's opened up and had very strong examples of musicians who are not very well known, able to sell tens of thousands, 20,000, 50s of thousands of dollars worth of goods two communities that they have found through Web 3.0. So the reason that I brought this up is that just as streaming revolutionized the way that people listen to music and took some time for the music industry to catch up, they are now seeing another disruptive technology come into their fold. And this time they aren't going to be slow about it. They are going to look at it and adopt it and move it into their business models in a very uh, effective and efficient manner. And so once we're starting to see this happening, um, we're going to see a lot more interesting use cases come up from music. And what we've seen in the past is that musicians have a way of bringing mass adoption to new types of tech. Thank you. I want to say thank you to both of you so much. Connor, you sparked this whole topic with one of your, your PR agency sent to me, or you did directly. I think it was uh, Desmond Warren. 
and mm -hmm. uh, sent it to me, and I said, that's a great topic. It's about time I covered this. So, so nice to meet you. James Shannon, I, I, just, I wish everybody on Voice America could see your beautiful, I still call it My Little Pony meets My Little Kitty meets, uh, yeah, The Zone. Really, really, really beautiful. Oh, wow, just dropping into your zone. X1, is that called Zone? X-O-N-E is Zone? Yeah, it's zone like the zero accounting software. Shame on me, I didn't get that. Okay, yeah, shame there on you us. Go. We might need uh, what, a rebrand. Well, no, no, no. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about it. You you guys are going to come back later in the year. I got thirty seconds to go. Amina Tuati, thank you so. Hope everything's okay with you and your family. Sorry you couldn't join us. I know she would have been a great panelist as well. And thank you to Charles. And I have a quick a homework assignment for both Connor and James. Wave your finger like this, and on the count of three, you're going to join me. You're going to say no, no, no. Here we go. People say the future is already here, and we say. One, two, three. No, 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 because that was yesterday's future. Oh, it was right after I finished that sentence. It's the future, but it's gone. We're all working on making today's future a much better one. Gentlemen, don't go away. We'll say goodbye off air. Thank you. Um, thank you, Matt and Voice America for being our engineer. We hope Gabe is okay. With thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.